Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here. And welcome to episode number 59 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I am here to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out on the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks so much for being here. And if you're a first-time listener, welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. I am very happy to have you on board, and I hope you enjoy the episode. And to everybody that's been listening in the past, that listens via iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate you letting me in your earballs one more time, and uh, just sparing the time to listen to the podcast, it does mean so much. And for everybody on iTunes and Stitcher that are leaving reviews, that is fantastic. Please do that, it helps the show out so much. Just go on. Five-star rating is always the best, of course, you know, and uh, just leave a review there and share with friends. Sharing with friends is awesome. It really helps the show. It lets the show be seen. And at the end of the day, helps more people go off the sofa and on the saddle. And that's why we are here, to try and motivate people to get out on their bikes and get on the trails. So if you want to follow the show a wee bit more in depth, you can check it out at www.mtb-tribe.com and you can subscribe there. You can get a wee bit more insight into what's going on with the podcast. All the back issues of the podcast is there so you can simply stream them from the website, no problem. If you want to get in contact with me, you can either do that via email or via socials. If you want to email the email address, there's a contact list on the website. You can just get in contact via that, and I will answer all emails. So if you want to hear from anybody on the show, if you want a certain topic mentioned on the show, please let me know, and I will try my best to do that. On socials, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at MTB Tribe. So folks, thanks again. Thanks for being here. Let's get on to today's show. Now, today's show is a real cool one. We are talking to John Aston, founder, owner, designer, fabricator of Chicken Frame Emporium, which is UK hand-built steel frames. John is so cool. He does everything in-house. He builds, he designs, he shapes, he welds, and he produces top-notch steel frames. So it was great to get John on the show as he sees the mountain bike industry in a different light and is not scared to air his views and thoughts on the industry. So John got into building frames in a different way from most, but if you had to put it down to one thing, I would say it's his passion for what he does. John loves what he does, and even though he does not work out of a state-of-the-art workshop, and maybe he doesn't have the latest piece of building equipment, but John is super stoked to be where he is and what he is doing. We chat to John about the building process, what steel he uses, and how he goes about fabricating a bike frame, plus much, much more. There's a lot in this episode. It was great to get John on. I know you guys are really going to enjoy this because it's a wee bit different, and it was great to speak to John and just get that different side of the industry and what he thinks about it. You have to you have to listen to stuff from all sides, folks. So it was good to get him on. So without further ado... Let's welcome John to the MTB Tribe Podcast. 
Hi, John. Welcome to MTB Tribe Podcast. How's things with you, sir? Yeah, super good. And uh, hopefully the same with you, man. Yeah, can't complain, to be honest. Um, I'm sitting doing this, so it's all good, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still stuck behind a computer, but at least I'm not behind a desk. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Half, halfway there. <laughs> yeah, so... John, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. And you have, just for the audience listening, you have your own frame building company called Chickens Frame Emporium. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, that's me. I, I am a brand. <laughs> exciting, exciting times. Um, so I think it was actually, I'm trying to think how we got in contact. I think it was maybe Broken Riders that put us, put us yeah, together. Yeah, I was in... Um, yeah, I was in the shop with uh, Jason Bruno, and uh, Tom was in there and said it, it, it might be something you were interested in, and then, uh, well, here we are now. <laughs> yeah, excellent, excellent. Well, I've had a good look over your website and all, and it's very exciting what you're doing. Um, it, it's very different from the big, large manufacturers and stuff like that, so um, it's good to get you on because I love chatting to people like yourself and letting the listeners know that people like yourself exist out there. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, publicity not my uh, strongest point. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so you manufacture, you far, you fabricate your own steel frames, um, very specifically yeah. for for each rider. Um, so we'll get into that a wee bit later, and I want to get into how you start it and everything like that. But tell us a wee bit about yourself. Now, is it right you're a qualified mountain bike instructor? Uh, yeah, I think that ran out years years ago. That was while I was still trying to decide what what i wanted to do that i wanted knew i wanted to work in the bike industry but uh yeah so i, I did um sort the courses and and whatnot but then found out that um it's just an easy way to ruin what you enjoy i think i don't really have the social skills or the patience to take certain types of character on on rides and, and ruin my days so uh <laughs> I, I figured that if if you actually build a uh build a frame regardless of what happens afterwards you've done something rewarding that you know it doesn't matter you can't destroy your love for something once it's out out the door it's out the door and it's another chapter so yeah man Mm -hmm. yeah cool and what was the what was the big dog the brighton big dog organizers what was all that uh that's just we did a uh when was that that was 2008 i think we did a G2 race for a uh, track like Gary Fisher and every, everything and had fun organising it and sorting the course out and then uh, next year just decided to to do it ourselves and then um, yeah sort of ran it since then I haven't been involved that much recently since I did did my um, wristing so uh, yeah but in, in the early days I was sort of yeah quite a, quite a part of it and everything but I think it's 10 years it's been going now Wow and is that still going? Yeah, yeah, it's just like a local local bike race basically. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, and just yeah, just I don't know, it's just fun fun to do if, if there's nothing out there that um is suitable, do something yourself, eh? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Oh, well, that's good. Well, you've got a bit of background and all that stuff, so that's quite interesting. Um, so let's talk a wee bit about the Chickens Frame Emporium. So, where are you based, at, John? Uh, I've got a little shipping container just in in the downs out outside of Brighton, just on a on a farm just down the road from where I live, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Very good. But, uh, yeah, and then uh, I've expanded. I do powder coating and whatnot now, so I've got another corner in a in a barn ne- next door with my oven and uh, yeah, just everything to uh, sort of powder coat coat frames as well now. Oh, and yeah. a little shop blasting annex on the side of the container, so 
sort of I've, I've just slowly inched towards being bigger but I mean it's still probably I don't know size of a tennis court or something the whole operation right. okay okay cool and how long <laughs> have you been how, training how big tight frame man so you don't need a lot of room <laughs> to build one right <laughs> that's true well here the more room you have the more stuff you collect and the more rubbish you gather up so it's maybe not a bad thing yeah man yeah <laughs> and I'll, I'll get some sort of I don't know diverted little buzz out of the fact that I, I build everything in the container it still sort of floats my boat in a weird way so yeah man yeah yeah and let's chat about that because you is, is that was that a chicken coop or something is that where the name come from just fill us no, in on that it's uh rory one of our, our mates that we we ride with who um he, he's uh got or at the time they're not not so young now but had a, a young daughter amber who used to call me john chickens because i always had chickens in the garden and uh the chickens died she started calling me John no chickens and you can't really have a go at a four-year-old you just got to take the, <laughs> the brutality of it and uh, just everyone in Brighton sort of bastardized it down just to chickens so uh, I quite I quite like that and um, yeah and when I, I started I'd I've been doing it professionally for a few years and um, as in like I was working at Enigma but I didn't feel I was uh, established enough or I thought it'd be arrogant to put put my name on it so you know put put it down as everyone knows me and it is also a little less snobby than all the big you know the big uh sort of i don't know i just don't, didn't think at the time i was at a level where it was worth putting my name on and uh I, I was quite a lot in debt as well so it's probably not a good idea to put my real name on stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah good thinking well that's good that's thinking into the future there well done um, so cool. So tell us then, John, how it all started because it initially wasn't something you were going to be doing, but a few things happened that just that got you thinking uh, on along the lines of, of building your own frame. So just tell us how yeah. it all started. Well, I uh, I, I sort of um, quit work through. I guess it's a mutual agreement, more or less. At the end of the the day, I was doing sort of fire safety, um, sort of quality management and technical lead sort of yeah, just. It was a nice small company, but it was becoming more and more corporate, the job sort of thing, and less and less what, what I was really in, interested in. So, uh, yeah, and then I, I left and thought, that's when I thought I'd start doing the mountain bike guiding thing because I, I cycled to Morocco with just mid-last month's wage packet in my me, in me pocket when I was oh. just doing factory work. And when was that? That was 2002 or something. So I did like 7,540.9. The point nine is important, man. Like, uh, Kilometres just with, I think I, took, I left the country with 650 quid in my pocket. So that was like, and did the pilgrims way and all, all that like off, off road, which was just cool, man. Just sort of camping, camping rough for most of it. And just, yeah, sort of hustling for a bit of work mm. in Morocco and whatnot. And uh, I sort of decided then that I really wanted to do... Uh, something to do with bikes the reason I, I went there was the council tax bill kept getting closer and closer to my actual name and then there was a uh, like a, a court court summons to for someone that had a very similar name to me but definitely was not me and then uh, <laughs> I sort of thought right I've, I've got to go I can't really afford to be here and then yeah just a year on the bike on my own you start thinking yeah maybe I do want to do something mm. with bikes what what could it be the obvious thing would be mountain bike sort of guide because i used to go you know to the uh mountains regularly and and stuff but then uh yeah then i was um yeah sort of kind of on on the verge of leaving work to to go and work as a guide and i was just sitting in the pub with my mate he just said why don't you uh 
build frames like you, you you've had metal work experience you you've always bang on about still and everything and it's something that i'm thought about since being a kid like when i was like 16 17 it's what i really wanted to do man but uh, mm-hmm. then the arse just dropped out of steel. All, all the cheap aluminium imports and whatnot made, meant that there was no real living to be made as a, a custom builder. And uh, so, yeah, I sort of just forgot about it more or less for a while. And then my friend mentioned it. He's like, fucking hell, yeah, I could do that, actually. Oh, well, yeah. And then, uh, so then got myself on a night night school course, um, learning to braze and, and whatnot. Got myself some gasser in the shed, started cutting up tubes and making stuff fit together and then after a year of uh, it was Rory whose um, daughter sort of named the, the company sort of took us around the London bike show I, I think Rory's uh, sort of phone books probably like the yellow pages of cycling or something <laughs> so through through sort of hanging off his coattails I managed to get uh, sort of um, considered by a few people and then started pestering Mark, Mark Riley who is at Enigma at the time like constantly and after a year's pestering like he uh, offered me a job at which point I got all my words wrong and just yeah got too excited to even string a sentence together and then uh, yeah sort of grafted there for about 18 months till I dislocated my wrist showing the commissaire around the course at the big dog so yeah. that meant uh, no more frame building for Enigma like because you know I needed an operation on it and everything and uh, so then I, I sort of went to um Stammer Park Forge, which is the the woods where the the race is and whatnot, and spoke to the blacksmith there. Ricky, he was super nice. He said, "Well, you're in. Sounds like you're in trouble, mate. But you you want to get going." Um, and he, he let me have a corner of the uh, the forge there for nothing for like six months, which kind of got me on on the feet. And then he left to go and start teaching at a local agricultural college to teach blacksmithing there. And uh, I couldn't afford to keep the the forge on. And he said, "Why don't you just get a, a shipping container?" Like on on the farm, like mentioned the uh, farm around the corner. I'd never even thought about it, and uh, yeah, just brilliant because it is it's eight foot by twenty, but it's totally lockable. So yeah, everything's completely safe. It's a temporary structure, so there's no rates paid. It's not a rateable place, and mm-hmm. it, it just works. The only thing is the temperature. Like I think forty seven degrees was my record until I started taking the temperature in the back, and then I hit fifty nine this year. Like that. Oh. I've had I've had cheese melt in there before. I know that. Uh, I've just opened the door, like saw my sandwich from the day before, just like a puddle on the plate, sort of pissed, oh. shut the door, and then mine and in the winter, so yeah. swings and roundabouts. But uh, but it's all mine, so yeah, I don't I don't care. It's mine. <laughs> so that's, that's all that matters, and I'd I'd rather put the money into the tooling because everything's expensive and specialised, and the money into the the premises. Because the tooling will, will keep me, uh, you know, will keep me in business, but a, a premises won't. So mm-hmm. I guess it's just a case of that. And and I just like the fact it's I don't know. I've been there for so long; it's become part of me, sort of thing. Not in a ponzi sort of way. It's just I don't know. That's what I see work as now. But yeah, mm-hmm. and and I'm also like 200, maybe 400, if I'm not exaggerating, meters from my front door. So I can, you know, I could get somewhere bigger, but I couldn't get anywhere closer. So I'd, I'd rather put up with that, really. Yeah. No, that's very handy when, when you're working. And I take it you're working by yourself. Yeah, yeah. All, all on my own, which is uh, quite a lonely existence sometimes. But uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because one of my best friends is a surfboard shaper and he he works out of his garage basically the side of the house and he's a very similar situation. Very warm in the summer, cold in the winter and all that. And um. I know he finds it quite lonely at times. So how do you motivate yourself to keep going in and, and keep at it and keep doing it? 
uh, it's just fun fun to do like it's so rewarding like that uh yeah it's not it's I mean, it, it's hard work, but the end result is you, you look back at the end of the day and you just go, yeah, I made that. <laughs> and there's just mm-hmm. something, like, I don't know, that, that is the reward. I mean, if you've ever made something, like, uh, anything, you, you know what, what the reward is. And if you can do that for a living, like, ding-dong, basically. But, yeah. Yeah, cool, cool. And, you know, it, it's funny when you you were well I, I won't say you were forced into doing that kind of thing but when you started out on your own and you started to do that yourself was it a scary kind of reality or you know was it a nervous thing you were doing or uh it was a kind of i didn't have a choice i've just sort of spent 18 months in investing in uh getting these skills together and then what what you're gonna do just you can't say oh, i've lost my job i'm not i'm not gonna carry on with that like it's yeah so it, it was i don't know if it's a weird thing i think it was uh I'm, I'm not going to uh, let let go of it. I'm sort of put too too much in, and uh, I don't know. Especially when I started for the first, you know, I had a seventy percent dislocated wrist, so I was still building yeah. frames slowly with that, and didn't even realise how bad it was to after the op. And then you know, it takes another six months before you get much strength back, and yeah. it was just uh, uh, I just refused to give up, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like you know what I've what's in point in the last you know however many years if uh if i give up now what a waste of time that yeah 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 so i don't know it's, it's sort of pig-heading this more than anything i guess <laughs> but yeah. yeah yeah cool and how long have you been trading from there now john uh i think i was trying to think about it the other other day i was at usc in 2009 making lights and then uh um so it's 2009 I started at Enigma and then I think 2011 I was in the uh, container uh, mm-hmm. judging by an old calendar on, on the wall just an old sort of grot calendar and uh, then uh, yes yeah, so I think I think 2011 I was at the farm and uh, before that I was in, in Stanmer Park mm-hmm. yeah so you're going to break yeah I've been doing it 10 years sort of this well next year 10 years professionally 10 years sort of in total this year cool and have you seen much change from your first couple of years to now oh, it's a, a joke now it's just yeah it, uh, it's just standard after standard after standard which aren't standards because if they were standards there'd only be one no, it's just I don't know I could go on the rant about it. it's because no one makes anything in this country anymore so it's not their their problem so you know and your way to stay ahead of the crowd is have the latest newfangled whatever gubbins on there do you know what i mean that mm-hmm. uh, it's just change for change's sake these these days but uh yeah i, I don't know it's just hard for uh, i mean what what says it to me is um five years ago uh this brake facing tool would have been uh hundred quid like lesser uh trade and uh now for the same tool because it's got to handle flat mount post mount is mount like you know 12 mil axle 20 mil axle like quick release like it just goes on and on that that, that's like over 300 pound tool now because it has to do so many different things and it's just it's in bike man do you know what i mean like Mm. yeah great like it's just change for change's sake but no one steps back to think why is this happening and the marketing machine just pushes on and uh, again i could i could be uh cynical and and say well the reason the market machine marketing machines are so powerful now is because that that's 
you know, a frame builder's not a job anymore. People don't do what I do. The, the closest you get to what I do for, for most people, and they think that's acceptable, is sitting behind the computer in an office somewhere and ordering ordering your frames in and then uh, just, you know, pumping your website to try and make some sort of tribal identity for your riders because there's not one out out there and there's not one through the shop. So, but you've got all this time to do something. So it's all the marketing and like, you know, be part of our tribe. This is what, what we do, be one of us. Whereas I'm, I'm there trying to make the bloody things. I haven't got time for any of that. But yeah, mm. so it's, I don't know, it's a weird thing. It's a very antiquated job now really and uh yeah i don't know i still think there's a place for it but what that place is i'm not not sure <laughs> mm, yeah and are you, do you still feel as passionate about it john or, or are you getting a wee bit frustrated with it uh I, yeah i mean you, you forget about it every time you go out and you just got a smile on your face riding the bike riding the bike doesn't matter what mm-hmm. what it is but I, I just think the situation at the moment is a bit bit crazy and you know you get a bit up upset by things i mean i've i've had a uh a customer come who who's got a you know it's the same sort of model of company they're they're local and they're buying in chinese frames and then trying to sell them and there was something wrong and he he knocks on the door he goes i can't believe i found someone that uh you know does what i do and you're you're in the same village i was going well i'll stop you there mate if if we both did the same thing why are you knocking on my door why haven't you sorted it out yourself like and these are the people that are really taking food off my my plate if you really want to look at it like that so mm-hmm. but it's it seen as the right thing i mean the biggest frame or one of them for hardtails in the country i won't say who it is but it, it's not too hard to to work out you go through the website and uh it's all, you know, Union Jack, British this, British that, you know, like I say, this tribal identity, come see our road show, ride our frame, rah, rah, rah. And then in, in the bottom, they've got, uh, yeah, we're proud to say we do everything apart from weld and paint the, the uh, frames in this country. So, mm. I mean, to me, that that's totally fraudulent because what happens they select and cut the tubes in this country and then post them to china and then they get tacked and sent back and then all the alignments checked in this country and then they send it back to china and then it's you know welded then it's sent back and the alignments rechecked and then all the brazons are done in this country and everything and then it's sent back to to uh china and then it, it, it's painted then sent back to britain for the decals to people on back to china for a clear coat and then back to britain for all the reaming and facing it's like shut up mate mm-hmm. you know what i mean that's a, a, not how things are made but it, you you're getting away with you know it, it's almost brushing aside the fabrication and the uh any of that as as an integral part of of what the, the build is i don't know and yeah. and the other the other thing is i can't you can't compete because a set of tubes for me costs more um you know than than the these frames will will delivered in in the country that you can't compete like that i guess the only thing i can offer that someone doing that and it's normally about 300 percent profit on these frames so there's enough meat in there that you'll you'll never uh get there is they they come to you so you, you can actually I, I see the person for a start so i don't have to build something that all you know some 20 stone bloke can ride down three flights of stairs on i can i can build it to your weight and your riding style and uh i can actually build a geometry that works works for you but i just can't market anything or make out it's a new thing and the other thing is with with steel frames because um you know the best profit seems to be on a frame that sells between five and eight hundred quid that's you know imported from the republic of china or whatever 
that uh, it's changed the public perception of a, a steel frame. When I, I built my mate Ian was racing for, is he's like super fast man and was doing. Um, I built him a cross bike, and that that was a quarter of a pound heavier than the world champs full carbon build. But but mm. you know you, you can build it light and whatnot if you're not constrained by the the kite mark and having to cover your back for what's down the the line. And also if you actually use the tubes you say you do, you know, an eight five three sticker can go on the frame with just the front triangle made out of it, which means oh, that really? it oh. probably weighs more than the front triangle. And the, and you look at these frames and you go, well, those tubes have been bent. They're not eight. Uh, it's just not eight five three. It can't be. You don't get them in that configuration. But I guess only a frame builder would actually know that that there's a lot of smoke and mirrors about. And yeah, so and and no one seems to, you know, if they ever get pulled up on it, people don't really deny deny it or say they don't don't do that that it's a funny yeah it's a funny world and the, yeah. the other route down it is is the the sort of show side of things which i've got no interest in at all because i think i think that's another thing that's ruined the steel steel market is we've been ghettoized into this like little artist community or something which isn't what it's about mm-hmm. because of all those shows you've got people like roberts you know they've got the dogs bollocks all that heritage behind them and most beautiful work i've ever ever seen and i see a lot of their stuff there because um yeah sort of adrian was working down the road and i saw a lot of his his work with mark and everything and uh it's untouchable but they're they're not in the right sort of trendy circles or, or press friendly or whatever that uh yeah it sort of gets pushed by the wayside and all these darlings in the media get get up and it's just i don't know it's it's, it's a weird thing so the it, the sort of job that i started off doing isn't isn't about anymore and it kind of changed midway through me learning how to do it which is uh yeah kind of have have the rug taken away from your feet sort of thing Mm. but it's what it is but i still enjoy it and uh i I still get a buzz out of uh making things you know making a tool for someone to use every day man but Mm -hmm. yeah and every time you think it is bad you get you get nice things like uh yeah i've yeah i've had uh well, I was saying to my mate the other day, I had uh, a customer who's brilliant. He's so old school. He sent his order in by uh, letter and then uh, paid everything by, by check. And I asked him, <laughs> and I, I got a little envelope full of 35 mil like, um, pictures for him. Brilliant. Then he, he phoned me up three years later and went, just to let you know, I've just written you in my will. That bike gets better every day. <laughs> He's like, it's, it's touching, man. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. It's just, I don't know. And I don't think there's many other sort of aspects you could get that that sort of reward in i've, I've had my mate race the, the crystal on uh, one of my frames and he told me the frame was telepathic which was like super nice thing and <laughs> yeah just on little bits like that and then you see people that are way better riders than you know you'll ever be taking stuff you've made through its paces like you you'd never be able to and it's just i don't know man yeah that, that's that's the whole reward in itself right there i guess yeah yeah definitely no well that that makes it that makes it worthwhile and i suppose you're attracting a different customer base to the likes of some of the bigger manufactured brands and stuff so yeah ticket that's very different so do they do your customers come to you do you try and reach out or is it word, word of mouth how do you get your customer base it's, it's all word of mouth like uh mm-hmm. I've, I've done uh, a couple of like i did the london bike show a few times like i'm good friends with fraser who uh runs it but um yeah i'm not sure that uh i'm just not very good with people face to face really i don't think a lot of the time that uh i take umbrage at things quite a lot and 
yeah, it's, it's weird because you, you get a few snidey comments or whatever at a show by people that don't really know, and I, I tend to bite on stuff like that because you made it yourself and you're sort of proud of it and whatever. So the, mm-hmm. the bite shows aren't always the best place, <laughs> the best no. place for me. Uh, I think the stuff I've done with Ollie and Dave at Morvello have been the best things for me. Like I made them a nice uh, sort of cross frame, and that that got me a, a shed ton of. Uh, sort of publicity and whatnot and was was really good i've, I've done another uh um sort of a uh, bit of work work for them that, that hopefully they'll uh, publicize for me in the next next few sort of weeks or, or months or whatever because of the uh, powder coating i'm doing now and stuff so mm-hmm. i think stuff like that's the best in the video but i've just yeah i'm not too good at um sort of yeah that uh facing the public and shouting about how good you are i think mm-hmm. half the trouble today with the internet and that that world is you get a website and instead of having good press up there you just tell people how good you are <laughs> and it's not like people seem to say themselves what should be said by other people and I, I don't know well I haven't updated mm-hmm. the website since I put it up there I don't know when that was that was probably seven seven years ago or something so mm-hmm. I think that's uh, an indication about how slack I'm on that side of things yeah which well, is bad. Nice... I just like making them I, I like the actual job and making it but yeah the, the peripheral stuff I've got no real interest in which is sad because that's probably what makes a, a business a success really <laughs> well unfortunately now and today I think I think a lot of that goes into it the PR thing and everything else is a, a big monster as far as business goes and yeah um, I heard it quote at one time I can't remember who said it but it was like uh, they were chatting about PR and advertising as legalized lying yeah totally <laughs> Well, it's like, and it's so powerful, you can't undo it. Like, I was at the, uh, like the bike show, and uh, Keith Bontrager was, was there giving a talk, and um, Cancellara is about to go for the hour record, so they, they threw a whole load of money into the wind tunnel and all this, and uh, he said the results were the most aerodynamic tube you can have is a one-inch tube, like round tube as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only, there's only one, one, uh, material strong enough to actually build a one inch tube and that's still and he said so basically all this money and then they've got to say oh yeah all that cut yeah we're wrong about that yeah they, yeah it's actually stills actually really good yeah ignore what we said before no it's actually really good <laughs> like mm-hmm. so where you know they if, if trek can't undo the uh the marketing you know machine what what chances someone small got yeah yeah no, uh, totally yeah yeah, and you know, it's one of those things, it's difficult because I think customers and people and consumers, I think everybody wants the newest thing, as you were saying earlier. We all want something different. We want to update it. We want new technology. Yeah. We want this. When realistic, like you say, a bike's a bike and steel's maybe the way to go. Why change? Yeah. Well, the reason steel's the way to go is I guarantee everything for life like that and and the bike used to be something that you consider as a a purchase for life but stuff moves so it's become a disposable thing now especially with carbon and you know it's got a limited shelf life just by the nature of of the material there is that uh and and that sort of seeped through into to everything that uh, yeah so uh, a, a bike's not not seen as a uh a purchase for life it's not something that you should grow to love more and more every day it's something that you you know you put up with until the next best thing comes along i think mm. huh? yeah yeah so i think the average person changes their their mountain bike as it three to four years or two to three years something like that yeah i think i rode my bond track of 21 years wow. but 
yeah, man, and I did like uh, Trans Rockies on it, of Road to Morocco on it, like, and you know, used to go to the uh, to the Alps and stuff regularly on it, and just fell in love with that. That every time it, it you know, you'd, you'd feel more and more into that that bike and everything. Then got to meet Bon Traeger in the Cornflake Isles at Tesco's, and yet again got all my words wrong. <laughs> didn't they? Like, starstruck and all that. And the cool thing was, he he, he totally took an interest. Saw him the next day at the race with the frame. He's like, ah, oh, I think that's that's probably one I made. That's old enough to. And like, was really cool about everything, man. He, even to the point, um, he saw my mate who was racing in. Uh, America and called him over and gave him some stickers to to give to me sort of thing that then you just think that's fucking cool man like you've still got and that's the whole thing about making something you, you, he made that so despite where he is now you've still got that sort of love for something that your your hands have been in, involved with but yeah yeah that's so, cool that's cool yeah man. Very cool. So let's chat a wee bit about your manufacturing then and what so you manufacture frames what what type of frames do you offer? Uh, it's all, all custom, so there's no, I don't do models, don't do anything, it's whoever turns up gets gets the bike they want for the purpose they want when they leave sort of thing, but, uh, so I've done ice ice cream bikes, uh, oh. sort of working on a, a sort of, oh god this thing's crazy, it's, we're trying to uh, get up and, and running, we ran out a bit of time in the summer, but it's a tandem where you face back to back and it's uh, a big tricycle and it's independently driven front and rear and uh, it's got enough room in for steel drums and a little sound system and then uh, it's basically a fire-breathing dragon made out of old car parts (laughs) (laughs) with a big extendable head so there's stuff like that the the ice cream bikes and then you know a hardtail for up up the woods or you know a gravel bike for a bit of touring or whatever it's all yeah that, that's what i like about it it's not you know when you're doing models and you you you're, you're offering them on it's just factory work at the end of the day and you know the the nice thing about the custom stuff is it's different it's a different problem with every every frame or different set of problems like mm-hmm. to face it, it just keeps you on your toes and you're always learning whereas uh what well, once it becomes like stock stuff it, it just becomes boring man because you're just resetting the same jig re building the same bike and you know what i mean it's not yeah it, it's quite nice to have a, a little bit of different all the time but yeah, yeah. wow it sounds that sounds pretty crazy so i take it the fire breathing dragon was for a customer uh yeah this is another there's a little <laughs> sort of uh, little <laughs> businesses and stuff on the farm so yeah it's uh two barns over that's that's what he does called dragon beats and just does uh Yes, they built this this dragon and then tore it tore it around the world, sort of breathing fire and scaring people. <laughs> wow, crazy, crazy! So, all right, that's that's nuts. Uh, let's chat about your steel then. Do you get your steel from a local manufacturer? No, my, my steel straight in from uh, Italy from Columbus because um, yeah, they they really look after you. I quite like the fact it's still a family business and whatnot. But um, yeah, and it. Yes, although if you buy the tubes in this country, it's pre- prohibitive from uh, yes the the suppliers here. I mean, if if I get my tubes in Dartford, it, it costs me I think four times what I, I pay in Italy but for the really? same tube. And yeah, so wow. what what can you do? You know, it's just yeah. So you, I, I have to use the Italians just to make make ends meet really. And I think that's because I try and keep my prices low. But I think that's I've shot myself in the foot doing that because it's not. Um, yeah, he's, I don't think it makes a difference. I have to come to terms with the fact that it is a luxury purchase now. That uh, mm-hmm. 
yeah, it, I don't know. The face of everything's changed really in the past ten years, I think. But yeah. 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 And is there different qualities of steel then? I take it there is. Uh, yeah, I mean, but steel feels like steel. Though the uh, thing is, you know, a, a frame build out of gas pipe will feel the same as you know your lightest eight five three or or spirit or life frame. But uh, the, the only difference is in in the weight, really. Which is, uh, yeah. you know, and yeah, there's been loads of tests done where people ride them blind and you, you just can't tell the difference if you're not allowed to pick it up. But um, but that quality that you feel throughout everything is, is you know, a really desirable quality. But, um, yeah, it's got that sort of pop and ping that you, you, it's, it's hard to get. Compliance used to be a, a desirable factor in the, the frame, but um, it's becoming a desirable factor again in a frame now that they can sort of mimic it in in carbon but until they could do that obviously compliance was bad and stiffness was everything so that's another thing with the marketing it's funny how uh, you know the um desirable properties of a material sort of change according to uh, what they're trying to sell <laughs> mm, yeah yeah and it's funny because the my surfboard shaper friend i was telling you about he's got a steel framed orange i think it's 24 Five, twenty-six years old. Yeah, and and he loves that it gives you a lot of feel and a lot of movement and stuff. Yeah, he just loves that fact of it, you know. Yeah, and it's repairable, so yeah. that's why you know my, I guarantee my frames for life. I don't know if anyone's still doing that really, but it used to be a thing back in the day, and I don't see why I shouldn't shouldn't stand by that. And yeah, just I, I just find all that carbon frames it's all just a bit dull man like it's all these matte colors up the woods you can't you don't know from a distance you can't tell who's riding what everything's just so generic and yeah and it's just i don't know become this cookie cutter thing whereas before like in the sort of golden days of frame building in like the late 80s early 90s when it was all these cool little californian outfits man everything had its own buzz and its own identity and, and fiercely so as well Whereas now everyone's so scared of losing that little fraction of the same bland market that it's all just become dull all round. But I don't know if there used to be a, a bit of quirkiness and nuttiness about it all, but it's mm. just so, I don't know. Do you get what I mean? I'm not. Yeah, yeah. certainly. Certainly. I I think um, it, it's companies tend to end up being all the same because they don't want to do anything outside of the box and case yeah. hasn't accept it. Yeah. And they lose so much market share just because of one bad idea or one bad design. So they tend to keep everything very similar. Yeah. And when everything was uh, metal, be it steel or aluminium, you used to get that nice thing of it was all about that little glint of, you know, metallic flash through through the, the trees as you see stuff go, go by and that. You don't get any of that with the carbon. It's just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just think because you have to, you know, overbuild it, you know, so you have to get those tubes so uh, oversized for uh, structural in- integrity. I just think that the aesthetics are, are lost now, and especially on the steel bikes, because, you know, before you'd, you'd, you'd build a, a steel frame, as a steel frame should be built, but now because you, you've got the tapered head tubes, which is driven by the uh, car- carbon uh, market again, because... Uh, uh, um, you know, a one and eight steerer in, in Carmen will rub on the head tube. It will will flex. So uh, that that's the reason that's been overbuilt like that. So all of a sudden you're putting like 44 or even a 52 mil if it's tapered at, at the bottom with an internal lump of metal at the front of a frame that would be strong enough with a 32 mil piece of metal up the front. Mm-hmm. You get what I mean? That it's yeah. And then because that's 
like you've got this big beer can up, up the front, people want like a 38 or a 42 mil down tube, which is excessively stiff, man. Like, you know, and yeah, but, but then the aesthetics are driving the, the, the frame rather than uh, the actual quality of the materials being, being used and you get in a, a funny state like that sort of thing. But mm. yeah, it's, it's bizarre. But, yeah, 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 yeah it, it's funny how things how things go, and it's interesting how you look upon it, you know, um, being so much into the steel thing. And I know my friend looks at it like that as well. Um, and I kind of came from, I wasn't really into mountain biking then, but the bike I, that kind of got me back into it was a was a 20-year-old rigid. And um, I still have that now. Yeah, I must admit, the back the bike triangle on it's bent a bit so it's kind of off the road <laughs> oh, you could paste it down to me man i'll sort it out but um <laughs> yeah but, but the thing is the other thing is on on that bike right so if you're being realistic about how you ride like up our, our local woods man people have got bikes that are you, you know five times the machine that that they need for up there so you, you're riding like you could ride your your ridge down the trail and you get such a buzz off it man and you'd you'd be close to the limit of the uh of the bike and uh, so i just knocked a cup of tea on my floor i'm trying to uh oh, ignore that yeah that's a <laughs> and uh you know you're, you're in your comfort zone completely but if if you're on a, an old rigid you're taking that to the limit of it and even though you, you're only going 10 or 50 mile an hour or something you're getting a wicked buzz off that but you know and you, you, you can't actually take the machines that most people ride up the woods to the limits to get that little thrill of you you're pushing it to the edge because mm-hmm. you know with who can ride that well, really, at the end of the day? Yeah, the bike's doing yeah. a lot of the work for you. Yeah. Yeah, mm, totally. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, yeah. And, then, and then we're at the point where the bike's expected to do, like, everything for you. I saw uh, there's that global mountain bike whatever thing that's on, on YouTube, and it, it mm-hmm. had over a million hits, and it was their uh, technical editor or director or whatever it's called, and it was... Uh, how do I how do I learn to ride my uh, full susser better? And and the answer was buy one that's too big for you because the wheelbase will uh, make it more stable. And and that that's a technical editor, and they've just shown a complete lack of understanding <laughs> about how a bike works, how that affects your centre of gravity and your your body English on on that bike, and you know you're compensating your breathing, your movement, everything. Like and 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 also you know you. You're struggling controlling something, so get something that's even less responsive and needs greater input to do something instead of, I don't know, man, it's just craziness. But but then that that's over a million hits and, and people are taking that. And basically, it, it's just an industry-funded article to say, oh, you don't like your bike at the moment, another four grand on another one will sort that out. Do you know what I mean? Rather than yeah. ride your bike. As a kid, did you ever have a bike that fit you properly or was right? Of course you didn't. Did you have fun on it? Well, of course you did, man. Like, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's weird. It's all just, I don't know, blame the machine, that's everything. And, you know, anything that's wrong, you just need more expensive bits or, I don't know, it's strange. And you get stuff that doesn't work now, like that um, is meant to be an in improvement and, and stuff and, and isn't. Like, you know, the uh, it's like all the eagles stuff and all that where I don't know if they sorted it out or not I can't imagine though so you're you're in your biggest gear you, you have to backpedal that will throw you straight back down the cassette again because the chain line's so off because you're stretching so far up that 
that thing. Mm. That, that's not seen as, as as anything. So really, you, you're probably better off with a small block at the back and a, another ring at the front. So you've you've got a nice tight spread of gears and the same spread, not that much extra weight penalty, but at least you can backpedal on it. And, yeah. and things like that only ever bite you on the ass when you you track standing trying to get up a proper rocky section. And you know, I mean, it's not something that doesn't really matter because those things only happen when you really need them not to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's very but, interesting. But man, it's gold and it's like you know, three hundred odd quid for a cassette, man. So psh, there you go. Yeah, and it's you know, I personally think it's. It's pretty crazy. Well, it's just the way technology's going, I suppose, and everything has to advance, and these companies need to make something new to sell yeah. something. But, um, you know, to me, it's crazy bikes at that price that they have to be updated every year. Oh, it's mental, man. You know, yeah. to me, to me, that's just overkill a wee bit. Like, yeah. But you can understand it. All the components are updated every year because technology gets, well, I'm going to say better, but it, it just gets updated. Yeah. So yeah, it's crazy the way the industry's going, and like you, you have to imagine to yourself how many bikes are out there that aren't being used because yeah. there's so many produced now. It's nuts. Yeah, it's crazy, and and the the trends how they're they're justified like the whole big wheel thing, sort of. Mm. I mean, the cynic in me goes, oh yeah, Gary Fisher rode a flipping hybrid like 20 years ago and thought it was better. Now we're all on them. Why? No one's asked why. Like because you know you've got a a bigger wheel, so just from the weight point of view, your frame's going to be bigger because it's got to have a longer back end to take that, and uh, there's going to be more tubes to get you up up the front, like because it, it, it's bigger. Then uh, the so the frame the frame's heavier, you, you, even your chain will be slightly heavier. You, your spokes are heavier, your, your rims are heavier, you know everything, the tires, everything mm-hmm. is heavier. It's not as stiff and it doesn't accelerate as fast. But it does roll over something. But now you've got suspension because it was meant to be an alternative to suspension. And that's why that, oh, it rolls over stuff was all, all, all pushed. But there's a fork on them now. So if the suspension's any good, you don't need the bigger wheel. So you should go back to a, a lighter, faster accelerating, stiffer unit. But that's not as, as marketable. And it, it's just, yeah. and, and, you know, and something that, that's whippy and responsive, like, doesn't handle like a boat or whatever. But it's just, yeah, but that's a new thing now. And I'm, I'm sure they're just going to run that for another few years and they'll sneak the smaller stuff back in again, as, as that was really cool. Because 10 years previous to that, a 24-inch wheel was meant to be the cure-all. <laughs> <laughs> and the smaller wheel was better all round and everything's great and... And how well do you need to roll over something? BMXs don't have much problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and we're seeing now. Um, it was when the twenty niners came in with the bigger wheels. It was all uh, small travel. Yeah. But now we're seeing the twenty niners with with big travel. You know, one hundred and fifty, yeah. hundred and sixty mil travel. Um, so again, they've just they're just making twenty niner bikes with bigger travel. Yeah. Which wasn't a thing a couple of years ago, or even no. a year ago. It's totally defeated so, point. I mean, it's, yeah, they've they've lost sight of why they they went in there in the first place. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting speaking to somebody that you, John, that has a, that's coming from a, a different angle and is old school and all. Because I think we are seeing maybe a wee bit of regeneration in the steel frame. Would that be true? Would that be right to say that? Yeah, I think so. Ho- hopefully, I mean, all, all I can hope from my end is that uh, people start off on the. Uh, like the cheaper imported 
frames and then go, oh, that is actually fun. You don't need light or, you know, the bike to do everything for you. And then uh, might actually treat themselves to something a bit nicer down the line and, and see me maybe. Uh, otherwise, it's just the old stick in the mud like, like me that refused to give up on something that, that works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, cool. And I'm interested. I want to chat to you about your welding because you obviously do all your welding in house and everything yeah. like that. And um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy called Jesse James. He's an American that has yeah, West Coast yeah, choppers, but renowned as a super, super good welder. And he always says that's he wasn't he wasn't good at building bikes. He was good at welding. That was his job. He was a you know he was a fabricator. So yeah, chat yeah. to us a wee bit about the welding and how how important that is and what difference that makes to a frame. Uh, I don't think it, it makes much difference. It doesn't have to be pretty, but it, it just has to be strong. And if, if you can weld, you can weld. I mean, that, that's the other thing with the, the bike shows. They've passed this dark art and nonsense off to uh, everyone. I've, I've got a, a very close friend of mine. Um, so it was the he was the last um, year that did a full apprenticeship at British Leyland when an apprentice was an apprentice. So the full mm-hmm. seven years metal work, unbelievable. When he comes and does machining for me, he's just got the verniers out and that's it, and just does everything just off off the top of his head. And uh, so he built himself uh, a jig just off off the top of his head, thinking what do I need to do, and just started brazing frames up, and they're as good as anything. I've I've seen um, you know by by people who've, who've been doing it as their only job for for years just from having you know a proper uh, background in metal. I mean there's yeah that is is dressed up metal works metal work. It doesn't matter what you join in you know it's still the same thing. Physics is physics, isn't it? That yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I, I guess the main thing is muscle muscle memory which is all all it is really. Which again is why you can't you can't slate the the Chinese frames. I'm I'm saying nothing about the quality there because the welding is is world class. You know, if who are you going to trust? Someone who's, who's got a little workshop here who, who's knocking out a few now and then, and uh, or, or someone who's in China having to do a hundred a day, or they're out on their ear with another thousand people queuing up behind for that job. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah, uh, I mean that's not. I mean, to I'm not. I'm, they're, they're brilliant. They're really well well made, and it, it's flawless work for the for the most part. But they're cheap for a reason, and that reason is you, you you're kind of giving up human rights to a point. I mean, even a good a good um, factory there will be kind of like what we used to call a workshop in Victorian times, a workhouse rather. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's not. I don't know. I just don't think it's particularly. Uh, you're not showing the greatest deal of integrity if 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 that's what your whole business model is. You know, at the end of the day, without trying to sound too over the top, you, you're kind of profiting off the misery of of others. Like the yeah. So, and I, I wouldn't yeah. want, want that in the back of my mind when I'm I'm riding something that should give me joy. That is yeah, come at a, a cost. So. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Um, yeah, it's so difficult because the the other side of the coin is well, you're giving people jobs, you're giving them an income, they're getting paid better than they would be down a local market yeah. or something like that, you know. And it's difficult, but when you're getting something cheaper than your, re- and I think in the Western world here, not to be getting any politics yeah. or anything like that, but in the Western world here, I think we pay too little for a lot of stuff. Yeah, for sure. The Americans and, you know, don't. They yeah. they support their they tend to they'll they'll buy you know pay more to buy American, but we just don't yeah. care here. Cheap's everything. No, yeah, 
that that's it and i think you know and the way i always look at at it is if we're getting something too cheap somebody along the line is losing out yeah somebody's not making what they should be making and it was funny talking talking to tom from broken riders and all his clothes all his clothing are very environmentally friendly yeah and you know when I had Tom on the podcast, we chat about that because I'm I'm into that, and he he was saying that he didn't mind paying that wee bit much more or having that wee bit less profit, yeah. As long as he knew the cotton and everything was sourced, was sourced properly, was guaranteed, was you know ethnically right, yeah. And um, I think that that says a lot about about a business and about your mind frame, and it's very important. Yeah. Well, the sad, sad thing is, I mean. Uh, often throw this water around but until the 1950s more bikes were made in birmingham than anywhere in the world and not even in the midlands just in birmingham like and wow. yeah and that's only what 70 years ago so in that 70 years what what's changed man it's mental isn't it yeah that's crazy that's crazy yeah wow okay um let's chat a wee bit about your options because you offer plenty of them you do like custom and painting options as well can you just take us through those a wee bit yeah it's what whatever you want really i mean it is genuinely an open uh, book unless it's you know something that i know will break or you know isn't wise to do i'll refuse to do it but uh yeah it, it's yeah the world is your uh, the world is your oyster as far as uh, what you want on, the, on there is concerned or, or leave it to me and i'll i'll pick pick what's suitable but i tend to go for life for uh, uh an off-road set of tubing that you know it's it's uh light enough and uh, but can take a batter in and, and it, it does dent but not not too too easily that it's got to be a pretty big rock to hit it to dent it but uh yeah that, that's my sort of weapon of, of choice for the off-road stuff really mm-hmm. yeah cool so take us through roughly just quickly um if i was to come in to to your workshop and, and want a bike how does the process work kind of from start to finish what what would we chat about what would you kind of figure out what i need and stuff like that uh you, you come into us like um have a cup of tea and then i'd uh, measure you up so i've got all your uh, sort of relevant dimensions and then we'd have a, a talk about what sort of riding you do um what what sort of feel you like out of a bike kind of how, how long you have been been riding even go for a little spin in in some cases maybe but uh yeah it's it's just a case of between us we'll beat out the the bike you you want or um you you come to me and i measure you up and you just tell me what you're interested in and i do the rest sort of thing Mm -hmm. but sometimes there'll be a a set of dropouts it's quite trendy at the time or whatever people want want those put in and that's kind of limited their input or Sometimes people come with a drawing, and uh, yeah, I, I build to their drawing. But obviously, if it's to someone else's drawing, you put put your hands up to if there's anything that doesn't work on it. You know, as in the the geometry doesn't feel how you you'd wanted it to feel, or whatever. It, you, you, it can't be on me. But obviously, if I do the measure up and the design and everything, it is it is all all on me for it. Yeah, to to be you know the the bite you expect it to be really. And and for yeah. the rest of your life, if uh, if you're that way inclined. Yeah, and uh, you just do you just do hard tails then, John? Uh, yeah, yeah, just just hard tails. I don't. I, yeah, I'm not not convinced that um, it, full full sus is the way to go for uh, still. And it's not something I've got a background. You know, I've been making hard tails for ten years, but 
it's what I understand and what I know. And I've been, you know, I've, I've been riding uh, mountain bikes for, oh God, yeah, far too long. <laughs> 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 and that, that's kind of the boat, the the type of bike that floats my boat. So it's the sort that I'll, I'll build. And also, also mm-hmm. there's nowhere around here to put a full sasser through its paces. So there's no point building them, man. Yeah, like just because yeah, everyone around here rides them doesn't mean they they need them and yeah so i just I don't know I've, yeah it's something that I've, I've never even really thought about to mm-hmm. be honest but mm-hmm. yeah and let's can we chat a wee bit about pricing yeah yeah so how do you work out your pricing structure then when somebody visits you for a, for a build uh, I'd, I'd normally come in for pretty much everything between about I don't know, a uh, grand and 1200 which I've got to stop because I've been looking at, I'm about half the price of a lot of people and uh, about the same price a lot of people charge for stock stuff. And, uh, yeah, so I've, I've been told by quite a few people now I need to put my prices up, so that's the next thing I need need to do. But, yeah, so it should work out about 1400 quid, I reckon, is a, a fair price in the end for the amount of work for a uh, fully custom hardtail in whatever tube set to do whatever you, you want it to do, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but the other thing is that he's guaranteed for life. That you know, and yeah, so, I was going to say that, and that's guaranteed for life at that price. Yeah, and it would wow. be bang, bang straight. And uh, yeah, well, I don't, you know, I, I, I wouldn't put my name on it if I didn't want to stand by it. But I don't think anyone does that anymore these days. Like that, mm-hmm. uh, because people are often surprised when I, I tell them that. But but then that's because steel isn't a disposable material. You know, it's it's built to last so you should you know if if you built it well it'll, it'll outlast you for sure i mean i've had i've had bikes from 1907 i think the uh, the oldest one i've worked on but, yeah. <laughs> so yeah man. <coughs> so how long does it take you to build a frame up then john uh you can knock a lug frame out on your own in a day if you were really really grafting really? yeah lug frame like if if you know what you're doing as well and uh a, a philip raise frames like three three days hard work closer to you know could be a week if it's fancy like that i mean at, at enigma we did in our record was in a month we did i think 31 or 32 frames between two of us mm-hmm. but yeah so you, you yeah so you can if you set up you, you can really yeah, give it some cash flow tends to be my problem that I'll run out of something somewhere along the line and have to wait a day mm. or two. But yeah, uh, and I don't know. The ice cream bites probably took me uh, probably a week, a week if not more, more to build because it was a load to think about. I built a fat bike with a five-inch tire recently, and the back end of that probably took me, you know, three days to get me head around. And and yeah. recently I did a uh, had to do a flat mount for for. Uh, a, a sort of gravel frame but that meant I had to make my own dropouts and had to make my own little flat mount things so refused to buy one sort of thing and yeah so everything's got its own little extras in I mean a lot of people want all the, the fancy stuff like you know the the head badges and the carved lugs and all that which I can do but it's not really doesn't float my boat I like it dead simple that the metal work just speaks for itself just one colour fillet raised just looks like it's come out of a mould like you know what I mean and just mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's what really floats floats my boat, and I, I think less is more for all that sort of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So I know it's difficult, uh, you know, when you're working on a, a small business and stuff, and you know, and I'm sure you're not driving a Porsche or anything there. Um, yeah. No, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but 
but yeah, we had a brief chat a couple of days ago, and I know cash flow is, is one of one of your main problems, as it is with a lot of small businesses. So, how does the payment work from a customer? Uh, it, it, I was trying to do. Uh, I normally did fifty fifty fifty, and then uh, I've been trying to do sort of forty forty twenty. But I've had a, a customer that I finished their frame uh, end of August, and they still not paid me, and. Uh, you know, and there's still 60% outstanding on it, and that that's just you know stop me dead basically. That um yeah, so I'm going to go back to 50/50. I've I've seen people online that are charging way more than me that want the whole lot up front. But the danger with having it all up front is you you need something to make you hungry for the rest of the money. So mm-hmm. yeah, but I don't know. I mean, I didn't you know I didn't really set up the business like most people. Like I said, I was waiting for an operation. I was you know I, I had. I was on statutory sick at the time, so you know, sixty pound a week in my pocket. Like, uh, I, I was really lucky that the I got a mill and a lathe off a, an old boy slowly sort of dying of cancer, and um, I, I made him uh, a, an offer for the mill. He went, "Do you want the lathe?" I said, "I love it, but I don't have the money." He's like, "I tell you what, you can have another month to get get some money together." I said, "Yeah, I've got nowhere to put it." He goes, "Well, I'll give you two months so you can find somewhere to put it as well." <laughs> and that's uh, really nice. And then you know, I've, I've did some brazons for someone and they just turned up the next day with a pillar drill saying uh oh my my dad um you know we're clearing out his effects do you do you want this i thought thought you'd like it and just everyone's really been so cool to us about stuff to get us going and i've got mark um at riley cycle works down the uh down the road that um i can normally beg and borrow tubes and little bits if if i need to get going and yeah so i don't know it's yeah I don't, if people hadn't been so kind to me, I could never have, have started up and, and got anywhere. But it's just, I've, I've never known, I've never had that buffer to know what it'd be like to actually have the luxury of that, that buffer that you can actually, uh, yeah, sort of keep going and, yeah, not have to fight fire all the time, really. <laughs> yeah, no, it's nice, definitely. Although, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so I was just thinking the powder cane actually has got me out of that that hole because I can turn a, a frame round and powder coat it pretty quick and the overheads aren't, aren't massive in that and uh, yeah that, that has saved my, my life and kept, kept the mortgage paid on, on quite a few occasions really so my problem is even with the uh, with the power cane it's still me doing it and it's just me I've only got so many pairs of hands and uh, that'd be one <laughs> and, uh, mm. yeah but so if yeah if I'm working on on one thing, I can't be earning money doing anything else. But yeah, and if I'm not working, I'm not not earning, which is why stuff like the website and it's a website that earns all the importers a good money. That's why my website's you know never updated and and you know looks looks probably quite dated now. But that's because I'm actually making the stuff myself. I haven't got the time for all all this. And yeah, so that is just how it is. I wouldn't have it any other way. But yeah. Yeah, it, it's difficult to do everything, and if you look at social media, you go down that rabbit hole, and everything else, you you would need three days in a day, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it can get quite overwhelming when you're doing something yourself for certain. Yeah. Yeah, and I've just got no. I mean, I don't read anyone. I don't follow. I haven't got a smartphone, so I don't follow anyone on Twitter or Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. I just find it all a bit dull, really. Like it's it's like reading people's CVs or saying. You know, it gives a toss. <laughs> I'd rather yeah. just be out doing something myself rather than, uh, yeah, see what other people are are up to or pretending to be up to. But yeah, yeah, that's true, and it's it's cool. There's people like you out there, and uh, I think the whole social media thing, it may never die, but I 
certainly think it'll get less popular over the coming years. Yeah, I mean, word, um, word of mouth and those sort of more velo videos bring stuff in from further afield, but word of mouth keeps me going here. All, all the bike shops know me, and there's enough work from them, really, to uh, just keep us bubbling along. And that with the powder coating, I'm, I'm not desperate to have to get the frame building work in, in so much now, so I can I can pick and, and choose a bit more and just pick pick nicer things to uh, build rather than sometimes someone turns up, they want something, you know it's going to bite you on the arse, but you need the money, so you say yeah, and then two months later when you come round to doing it, guess what, it, it bites you on the arse sort of thing, mm. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, crazy. But, yeah. crazy. but all, all good fun. I wouldn't have it any other way, I don't think. So. Yeah, well, good stuff. Well, good stuff. Well, before I let you go, John, that's that's been an hour, believe it or not. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah uh, before I let you go, what's the future for the chickens, frame, and porium? Anything new you can update us on or anything like that? Uh, what's the future? Let's see. Um, maybe a bit more space at at some point and uh, I, I really oh the one thing I, I haven't mentioned at all which uh, has kept me going and I really do enjoy it that, um, is teaching courses so I teach uh, at Riley Cycle Works like it takes uh, it's a week's course and you can build whatever frame you want really but uh, I think I'm going to start offering it offering it at, at my workshop as as well because um, my, my main reason I haven't offered any of that is you just think flipping it do people really want to come here but most people actually quite like the place when they see it it's just because I'm too close to it I see it as not an embarrassment but uh, you know everyone seems to have these pristine workshops and you know I, I don't know it's like you know a £4,000 jig in the, the foreground although I've got Roberts's old jig that the dog's bollocks and whatnot come off the, I mean that floats my boat way more than uh something with fully adjustable orange handles everywhere and uh it's banged straight and got a bit of uh, heritage on it but i don't know and also because you know the temperature differences and everything but i, th- I think that um yeah the sort of person that would want me to teach them is the sort of person that wouldn't really mind a bit bit of hardship in <laughs> in, in the week yeah but, but it is every time I've I've done one of those courses, it's been at a point where you just think, "What am I doing with my life? What this is no way to earn a living." And you just you, and then you teach someone, and you realise you are actually you know reasonably skilled, and uh, it's just really satisfying, and you get a bit of self worth again, and then go and do a few builds, and it, it's brilliant. It's just I suppose that's that's the working on your own as well, the highs and lows, because you can't see the wood for the trees you're making something mm. that you feel really strongly about so you know it, you, you tend to get affected by it on uh you know on not an emotional level but whether you're feeling high or low about things is definitely affected by what what you're doing at work so mm-hmm. yeah certainly and you know the teaching thing's massive yeah um, i totally forgot about I, that. i'll keep mean see that's another thing i've been teaching and for probably a couple of years now three four years and uh it's something that I've always meant to put on the website as well, but just never got got around to it. It's like the powder coating. I've been doing that for a year now. That's not on the website, but I'm getting enough trickling from the bike shops. I don't need to, to do that. But uh, again, I, I suppose that's the difference again, isn't it, between doing it yourself or importing stuff and, and offering it. But, you know, the front end, my, my public interface is, is, is poor, but the other end is super busy, I guess. I don't know. Maybe look at trying to get some student and to do something for you as part of a part of their assignments or something like that. Yeah, that yeah, might yeah. be a way to. Yeah, man. Possibly, but I know that I know the teaching thing's massive. There's a guy around the corner from me offers 
blacksmithing courses. Right, yeah. And he has booked out the door. Yeah, man. You know, if I went to him today to see when I could next do a class, it would be it's three months down or four months down the line. Yeah. And that's all he does. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts, isn't it? It, you know, he yeah. probably makes things himself and stuff. He used to do a lot of gates and fences, and I know he probably still does that. But every evening he has booked out the door. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I think that's because yeah. people are so far removed from using their hands anymore in this country. But um, yeah, he's seen. You know, it, a lot of people seem to be from an IT background that come and do the course because you know I suppose mm-hmm. they're they're still working with their hands, but it's kind of an abstraction you know because it's looking at mm-hmm. systems or, or whatever and just to get dirty and actually make something you can prod and poke at the end of the day and go oh, i made that is is wicked especially if it's something you can pedal for the rest of your life afterwards man yeah. Uh, yeah yeah and you know it's funny when i was at school we had a class called cdt yeah man craft design technology you designed it in a bit of paper and you made it by your by hand now i don't know what they're doing in school now but they're probably designing it on a computer and yeah not even making it you know a cotton machine's probably making it yeah that's the thing and that that's almost in a nutshell what uh, these people who say they're frame builders or don't say they're frame builders but they run frame companies that's 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 all they do that computery bit and, and the rest mm-hmm. of it is seen as, I don't know, sort of not an integral part of running that, that business or not as in, important. And I don't know, it's a weird thing, isn't it? That and it, mm. all that happens the other side of the world, so it's not part of what, what goes on here. But, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a funny old world, sir. It's a funny old world. Yeah. That's nah, just the way it goes. And uh, I'm really glad there's guys like yourself out there doing, doing what you're doing. It yeah, definitely cheers, offers a good and we need that there you know we need that and it offers it offers people like my friend con and whatever it offers you know guys that are really into that it offers them that option so yeah congratulations yeah. for keeping going and being doing that yeah cheers man it's been uh yeah touch and go for well for 10 years <laughs> yeah. yeah but yeah but i don't think i'll never you know i'll never set out to be a millionaire off it and uh i i, I think I, I live a much richer life in many aspects and uh, a lot of top executives do just i'm you know i'll, I'll never uh don't want to go to work you know every time I'll, I'll wake up in the morning i'll walk over the crest of the the hill and it's just like wicked what we doing today like and mm-hmm. every time i'm on a bit of a day there you know you sit in the container and you go i haven't got much but it's all mine it, it's come from nothing and yeah so i'm fiercely proud of it man but I'm, i wouldn't recommend it as a, a business model to anyone <laughs> No, you need a real passion there for it. I think just chatting to you. Yeah, man. But yeah, you have to uh, yeah come and come and check it out sometime, man. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Well, I have to. I'm um, I'm actually in Malta at the minute. I'm here for a couple of years. Long story, but uh, once I get back to Ireland, I'm definitely going to go do a wee tour of the UK and check out some of your trails and stuff as well. So I need I need to do that. Yeah, you know. wicked, man. So yeah, I'll uh, I'll get in contact with guys that have obviously been on because I want to see Tom and all and yeah, man. You know. Uh, I want to see all the guys that have been on the podcast and just uh, put a face to a voice and yeah, shake somebody's hand, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, wicked. <laughs> so that would be cool. Well, here, how can people best get in contact with you, John? Is it just through the website? Uh, the best point? Yeah, my, my phone number's on, on the uh, website. That, that's the best way because I've like got no... Uh, I'm just on the container. All I've got is the, the phone. I mean, if I had my way, it'd just be a holding page with a phone number on it, really. <laughs> but you can't really get away with that in this day and age so 
<laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, well, that's grand. I'll put your details on the show notes and stuff. If somebody wants to give you a shout, they can do yeah, it there. Yeah, especially if they want to, uh, they fancy uh, a course because I'm I'm dead keen to uh, try them out in my workshop now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Get on that, and when you get that up and running, let me know. Give me a shout, and I'll put. I've got a resources page on my website and I'll stick that on the resources page so people can when they're just filtering through that kind of stuff they can see that there and it might be a quick a quick link to you so the the other um thing you were saying about income and whatnot that I didn't think think to uh mention obviously because I work in steel I can repair any any steel frame and uh repairs keep me going loads and it's a really nice thing to do for people because they're normally quite despondent that something they've loved for for years is is bust and then uh you you can get it back up and and running you know chop out a few tubes or or do whatever needs doing that uh that that's a a great thing but you know I, i think because of the limited warranties on on stuff and everything now that people forget that just because you're not you know you're out of your your guarantee with whoever you bought it from doesn't mean that it's not not fixable or yeah or Mm. or easily fixable in a lot of cases as well so that would be a customer just bringing a a bike they've bought yeah even out of halfords or somewhere bringing it to you and just saying look this is bent or this is snapped can you repair it for me yeah like yours with your uh bent back end or whatever it's not it's not a biggie to sort things like that out and uh yeah and, and that's the thing that a lot of the new school people that haven't been professionally taught don't don't do because it is kind of a bit harder than doing something just from from scratch so yeah it's a nice thing to be able to offer and a lot lot of other people don't like doing it because it's dirty work as well so Mm, yeah yeah well that's cool that's excellent well that's good that's somebody you know they can just pop in and and do that with you now that's awesome yeah man so yeah happy days but yeah very good well well john thanks so much for coming on the podcast it was great to chat to you and it yeah no worries and it was lovely to get a different angle and a different insight to the to the bike industry because it's so driven by blingy images and yeah. bright colors and knew this knew that and it's cool to speak to somebody like yourself that's from the roots of the thing really yeah cheers man wicked yeah cool. like well, here, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well here have a great day bro and uh i hope you don't spill too many more cups of tea there so. <laughs> and it's a uh, it's a tea colored carpet so i think i've got away with it <laughs> <laughs> classic all right all the best yeah. have a great day cheers gareth i'll catch you later nice one That's a wrap for episode 59, folks. I hope you enjoyed that and got some information out of that episode. And John, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It was great to chat to you. It was great to have a good long old blabber with you there and um, just have your thoughts on the industry and what you do for the industry. It's really cool to see guys like yourself working away in their sheds, in their garages, making these awesome, awesome frames. So, folks, if you want to know more about what John produces and how you can get in touch, just go to the website show notes. You will find them at mtb-tribe.com. You can just search for John's episode number 059 and it will pop up there. All the bike issues are on there as well, so you can do that. And if you want to get in contact with John, just scroll down. All John's links and stuff are on the show notes there and you will be able to get in contact quickly via those links. So thanks so much, folks, for listening. It was great to have you on the podcast this week. And as I say, if you want to get more involved, just visit the show at mtb-tribe.com. You will find all the bag issues there. 
you can subscribe to the show there where you'll get one email a week. I won't bombard you with rubbish or anything like that. And you can get in contact via the website as well. Just let me know your thoughts and feelings on the podcast or somebody you might want to hear from on the podcast or a certain thing or component or issue about mountain biking that you'd like to hear on the podcast all all is welcome and i do get back to all emails so thanks folks for being here again socials you will find us on instagram and facebook at mtv tribe so guys have a great week on the trails i hope you get out over the weekend and you get pushing some pedals have a great time take care and i'll speak to you next week